So, we are back in James. So, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there with me, back to James chapter 4. Last week, Josh Robinson preached, and he did a great job, and I'm so grateful for God's timing. He has been so faithful to us during these two times now that I had to be out, or I, I was too busy to study. Last time it was with Judson in the hospital. This time it was with COVID. But God had in his, he had ordained from much earlier on to bring someone else in to preach those weeks. Josh, I didn't have to call him up that week and say, hey, I can't make it. He, that was planned months in advance, and I praise God for that, for his planning. And I mentioned to Josh last week as we were talking about the sermon, how I thought he did a great job at taking a very dense passage of Scripture and rolling through it and not getting bogged down in the weeds. And I was encouraged by that, and I told him that's something I probably could work on. So this morning, we are going to look at eight words kind of the opposite of what I said I was wanting to do, but there are times where I think it is important to slow down and to see what the, the Bible is telling us and look very closely and not rush too quickly over what is being said. And this week is one of those weeks. This morning we are going to read James chapter 4, 6 through 12, but we are going to focus on the first eight words of verse 11. So if you would, stand for the reading of God's word. We will read our text this morning, James 4, 6 through 12. It says this, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to to judge your neighbor? This ends the reading of God's word this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. This morning, I want us to examine this text underneath this command of James, underneath the headings, the context of the command, the content of the command, and lastly, conforming to the command. We will start out where we often should with the context of the command. I have said it many times as I have stood here and preached that context matters and that we should take care to look at the context. When we read scripture, it is important for us to read the verses with what is going on in the passage in front of us. We must be careful that we do not cherry pick verses. And we make them say what we want them to say. But we have to understand that many of these are letters. They are stories. The author is taking us on a journey. And we are to go along with him. We are to allow him to take us where he wants us to go. Most of the time, when we talk about context, we are talking about those verses right before and right after the passage that is at hand. But it is oftentimes helpful especially when you're looking at a specific topic, to examine what does the Bible have to say about this topic. 
Our text this morning says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And when we zoom all the way out and we begin to see what does the Bible have to say about the way we use our tongues, we see that this is not a rare topic when we come to Scripture. Instead, we find that God very much cares about the way that we use our mouths. This cannot be overstated. In Psalm 50, God is describing the characteristics of an evil person, a wicked person, and he says they have a mouth given over to evil in speech that attacks even the closest of relationship. He says they slander their brother, their mother's son. When David declared in Psalm 101 that he would walk in integrity, he says in verse 5, whoever slanders his neighbor in secretly, or secretly, I will destroy. And whoever has a haughty look or an arrogant heart, I will not endure. Meaning that he will not even spend time with those who misuse their tongues. Solomon, David's son, when we get to Proverbs, we will find that he addresses the tongue no less than 60 times. For example, in Proverbs chapter 10, In verse 18, we read, The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters utters slanders is a fool. When we turn and look at the New Testament, the warnings against the way we use our mouth becomes even more serious. Jesus makes clear, If you want to know what lives in your heart, examine what comes out of your mouth. In Matthew 12, 34, he says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you look two verses after that, he goes on to add, I tell you, on the the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Then, when we come back to the book of James and we examine what we have studied over the last few months, we remember that James refers to our tongue many times. In fact, in the 82 verses that make up this letter of James, 20% will refer to our speech. He has warned us to be quick to hear and slow to speak. He, give, he has given us the warning that if we claim to be religious, yet we do not control our tongues, our religion is not one that saves, but is worthless. This is a grave warning for a society and for a people who so often are thoughtless in what we say, the way we speak. When we come to chapter 3, we find that he has, in the first 12 verses, he focuses on our tongue alone, saying and reminding us that it is set on fire by hell. Very strong words. He says that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. When we come all the way back into our immediate context, we find that Jesus has said, or James has said this morning, and we read it this morning, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He lays out for us then what it's like to walk that way of grace, saying and calling us to submit ourselves to God, to resist the devil, and to draw near to the Father. He calls us to have a to keep a short list of sins in our lives by cleansing our hands and repenting of them as soon as we realize we are dirty. He calls us in verse 10, finally, to be humble, to humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt. And it is in this context of humility that we come to our text this morning that we find James tells us, do not speak evil 
against one another, brothers. This is because one of the underlying motivations of us speaking evil against one another is because we like to exalt ourselves. We like to feel like we are more than we actually are. In tearing someone down, we feel like we have gone up just a little higher. We have put one more person under us. Before we move away from this context, I just want to point out, I do this. I spend a little bit of time this morning talking about the context of the Bible because this is serious. The Bible makes plain that this is serious. It is important that we take time and we examine the way we speak. By our words, we show what is in our hearts. And by our words, we prove if our religion is true or is it useless. James is not making suggestions here. He is giving us a command. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. We are not to make light of this. And after we examine the context, we turn now to the content. What is the content of his command? This morning, we find James' command is very straightforward. It is very clear and to the point. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The word that he uses for speak evil against is a very general word. It often is linked to jealousy, selfishness, quarreling, and pride. We speak evil against each other in many different ways in our life. We gossip, we backbite. We speak maliciously or, or, or falsely against one another. All of these can be used to tear down our neighbor and to exalt ourselves. We retell stories, whether they are true or false. Many times we don't even care, but we tell stories about the wrongs and the offenses of others. Not in order to build up or correct, but in order to bring someone down a notch or two and to feed our pride. We, as a culture, we love this stuff. All you have to do is turn on Facebook and you see that we love it. Or go down the, the grocery aisle and check out and see those gossip magazines sitting there that will tell you all the dirt, all the latest dirt on this person or that person. We eat this stuff up. But James is calling us. He's calling us away from the world and says, be different. Do not speak evil against one another. But he focuses on evil speech, but not just any evil speech, some of the most grievous that we can commit. He warns us about speaking evil, not about anybody, but about a brother or sister in Christ. We live in a fallen world, and we live lives that are full of strained and broken relationships. We have the nearness of friendship that at times becomes broken, and disappears after an evil word is spoken or a careless word is hurtfully said. We all experience this. Such brokenness is hard to live with, and it, especially when it involves close friends or acquaintances. But there is a special hurt that comes whenever the hurt and the criticism, the slander and the harsh word comes from a family member. Being run down is always hard to handle. But when the criticism comes from those of the same bloodline, when it comes from those of the same origins, those who have the same mom and dad, the criticism seems all the more out of place. And what is true about the physical family is also true about the spiritual family. 
Paul makes it clear to us in Ephesians chapter 4. If you're doing the Bible reading plan, I actually just worked through Ephesians chapter 4, and it reminded me of this, that we are all one family. He says that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. He tells us that we have one God and Father. And in doing so, he is reminding us that we are all, all who have faith in Christ, we are all from the very same bloodline. It is Christ who makes us one by his payment of his blood. No, no matter where you find yourself, no matter the differences among us, the differences in the way we look and what we drive and what we wear, the differences in social status or intellectual ability, the ground is level at the cross and we are all one in the forgiveness that is found through Jesus Christ. So he calls us, Paul calls us to eagerly maintain this unity, this oneness. He calls us to walk in humility, in gentleness, bearing with one another patiently in love. He says we have to bury with one another patiently because he knows this is hard. And he is calling us to the complete opposite of what James has said this morning. He is calling us to the opposite of speaking evil against one another. You see something and you know something has horribly gone wrong when you have those of the same physical family criticizing and slandering one another. But you also know something has horribly gone wrong when the spiritual family begins to backbite, gossip about, and tear down one another. Which is why we find from the very beginning, God calls us, or calls the Israelites in Leviticus 19, he says, you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. We who are of the family of God are to be different. That being the case, we must ask ourselves, why does the scripture refer to this so often? Why does it keep coming back to this command? Josh made a great point last week that when we find things written in Scripture, they're written there for a reason. They're not just a collection of sayings that we can pull here or there, but they're written to people and they're written for a reason. James commands us in his letters to not speak against one another and he does not do so as a hypothetical. He does not, he's not saying to these people, maybe... You're criticizing one another, and you probably should cut that out. But he writes this because that is exactly what they were doing. They were criticizing and slandering one another. Paul wasn't addressing a hypothetical situation when he writes in 2 Corinthians 12, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, but that you will be quarreling, jealous, anger, that you will have hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Neither is Peter writing about this hypothetical situation in 1 Peter 2, verse 1, where he commands the, the churches to put away malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. These are not hypothetical situations, but they wrote them because these churches were guilty. They were guilty of gossip. They were guilty of slander and evil speech. These were the things that they were struggling with. And 2,000 years later, these are still the things that we struggle with today. We are guilty when we look to increase others' faults. When we nitpick and we are quick to point out the mistakes and the flaws of those around us. We are guilty when we enviously suppress or downplay the good works of others. When we 
see others do a good job and we unhelpfully criticize them just to tear them down a notch. When we criticize where they place their efforts and say it would have been better focused over here. We are guilty when we speak against others, when we doubt their motivation, when we say she only did that because, he only said that because, we are guilty. When we gossip and speak evil, and we, we, when we gossip and speak evil, when we indulge or divulge the secret flaws of others, when we go around and telling other people, he does this or she does that. Now we must be careful here. It is easy to get ourselves in trouble, especially with that last one, because the Bible is clear that we should desire wise counsel. And there are clearly times where we need to speak to others about what is going on in our lives, that we need to share what is going on and even the hurtful actions of others. But when we find ourselves in those moments, we must be careful not to cross a line. And it all comes down to your heart. What is the motivation of your heart? So often we can think we're simply asking for godly counsel, when in reality we are venting about someone else. We want to share what someone has done to me and we want others to validate the way we feel. It is in those moments that we do not want godly counsel, but we want a pep squad to pat us on our back and say that we are doing what is right and that everything will be okay. Someone to be on our side. When we share what our spouse, our children, or another church member has done, we are sinfully speaking against one another. This is tricky. As I said, we frequently feel like we have the best of intentions, yet in reality, the motivations are selfishness and sinful. In my study this week, a pastor gave a, a rule of thumb, a very practical rule that I thought was very wise. He said, we should never report that which would harm another unless keeping it to ourselves would hurt worse. We should never share that which would harm someone else, another brother or sister, unless to conceal it would hurt them worse. Why is all of this so important? Why does James seem to lean in so hard about our tongue and what we say? We begin to see the importance when we begin to realize what we are doing when we speak evil against one another. When you gossip, when you slander, and when you speak evil against a brother or sister in Christ, you must realize that you are speaking against someone that Christ died for. That you are slandering someone that has the Holy Spirit living in them. That you are tearing down someone that if they humble themselves before God, that he desires to lift up and exalt. To speak against a fellow Christian is to stand against God. But it is even more than that. To speak against a fellow Christian is to align yourself with Satan himself. The Bible never calls the devil an adulterer. It never says that he breaks the Sabbath. But who the devil is, is revealed to us in Revelation 12.10. He is called an accuser of the brothers. And when we go about gossiping and slandering others, we are aligning ourselves with the accusers. We are standing with him against those who Christ paid his blood for. Lastly, when we speak evil against others and tear them down, we are being counterproductive. 
as Christians, we claim to love the gospel. We have been changed by it, and we long for, to see others transformed by its saving message. But when we are quick to criticize and point out others' faults, we begin to celebrate and even emphasize those parts of people's lives where the gospel has not yet rooted out all the sin. Sin becomes the focus rather than the graciousness of God. This does not advance the gospel in any way. Rather, it hinders it. We should not celebrate the faults and the failings of others, but we should mourn them. Mourn with the people who have sinned. We must be careful not to speak about each other harshly, and we must seek not, or not seek to tear each other down. We must be careful not only to not say them, but to be careful what we hear. There are times where we may not say the evil, but our ears are as guilty as the tongues are. They, you only can share gossip when you have someone willing to listen. We will happily, so often happily hear the faults of others. No matter if they are real or if they're made up, we don't care. We will eat it up and we long for more. As James has said, brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. We are to love one another enough not to slander and gossip. And we are to love one another enough to correct those around us who do. I think it is worth just a moment to see what, what is the opposite of this. What does it look like to live a life the, that is the opposite of what James is saying this morning? In, back in Ephesians 4, after Paul tells us that we are one body with one Father, he tells us in t- verse 29 how we are to talk to one another. He says in verse 29, it sounds much like James, he says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. But then he adds, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Those who gossip, those who slander, those who speak evil against their brothers suck the life out of the room. They kill and they destroy. But those who use their language for building up, those who give grace by what they say, they are the ones who give life. There are, I have a few of these people in my life. Breen and I went to a going away party for a, a youth pastor from our last church uh, on Friday. And we came across, once again, this sweet lady who I, I think about when I read verses like that. Because you see, every time I leave her presence, there's a aroma of Jesus there. It makes me desire to be more kind. She makes me want to be more gracious, wants to be more Christ-like. My question is, what would, a, what would the world do with a church full of people like that? What would they do with people who go around and leave Christ behind them? But we are, are not living in that world. So James has to command us, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And all that we have left to do is to conform to this command. So how are we to do that? When we find commands like this in Scripture, we often want a to-do list. We want to know what to do and what not to do. We want clear lines of how far can I go and what lines are am, I, am I not to cross. But throughout James, he does not give us these lists that we so desire. However, he does give us the key. He gives us the key of how we are to follow, follow this command. We find it, once again, in our context. 
We are to remember, he says, who we are. We're to remember who we are. In fact, in verse 12, you will find that James asked the question, who are you? Who are you to judge your neighbor? And the answer that he has given us in the past 10 verses of this chapter is that we are those who need grace. We are those who have nothing to offer, yet must humble ourselves before God. When we lose sight of that, when we lose sight of the fact that we are owed nothing, that we have earned nothing, and that ultimately we are nothing outside of what God has allowed us to be and has created us to be, when we lose sight of that, we become prideful. We begin to think, I am somebody. We begin to be in competitions with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is in our pride that we begin to speak evil against one another. We feel threatened by others doing good works because they may get the praise that I deserve. So we play them down. We feel like we deserve more or we deserve better. So we critique and we criticize so quickly. We forget that we need grace. So we do not show grace to others. You see, each day we are tempted to make ourselves the center of this universe. This is why we must constantly be examining ourselves in light of what scripture says. Do not show do not speak evil against one another, brothers. When we, expect, when we inspect our lives, we find we are guilty. You are guilty. We do slander. We do tear down. We do gossip. And James has already told us, what do we do with that? What do you do when you look at your life and said, oh no, I am that person. James has told us in verse 9 that we are to be wretched, weep, and mourn. We are to take those things seriously. We are to take sin seriously and call sin, sin in our life. We are not to brush it off or think little of it, but we are to repent of our sins and repent of all those times where we say more than we should say. We are to recognize that we feel guilty because we are guilty. It is my own passions that are at war within me that cause me to say what I say. All the things that come out of my mouth begin and find their origins in my own heart. And once we come to the terms with that, once we realize that, we are not to stay there. That is not the gospel message. The gospel message does not stop there. It doesn't say, waller in your sins, but it says, look to the one who gives grace. Look to the one who gives more grace. You see, as Christians, we must always remember that the gospel is for sinners and that we never, ever outgrow it. We must constantly be putting ourselves back in our place, remembering and reminding ourselves that I am a great sinner. But as John Newton would say so often, I serve a great Savior. Yes, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. That is our attitude when we approach a text like this this morning. A mature Christian does not look at James' command and think light of it. They do not say, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Neither do they look at it and say, well, Christ forgives all my sins, so ho-hum, what does it matter? But first, they feel the weight of what James has said. Do not slander, do not speak evil against one another. If we genuinely take our look at our lives, we do prove ourselves to be great sinners. And it is in light of that revelation that we are to humble ourselves and look to the cross. 
In Isaiah 53, we read of the suffering servant. And in verse 6, Isaiah says, all we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And you know, that's not just a description of us before we come to Christ. If you're anything like me, you are tempted daily to go astray. And there are times when we do. But in that same passage, Isaiah reminds us, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That now, because of the gospel, we have a place to go when our hands are dirty and when our heart is unclean. We look to the cross where there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we find forgiveness there. You see, the gospel is good news for those who gossip. The gospel is good news for those who slander. It is good news for those who criticize, critique, and crush their brothers. You see, we must not come to our text and say, I am so happy that that one doesn't apply to me this morning, because that would be a lie. James has already said, we all stumble in many ways. But when conviction comes and Satan tries to crush us by reminding us of all of those evil things we have spoken, the answer is to preach the gospel. Get up in the morning and preach the gospel to yourself. We are to remind ourselves, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, it is upward I look and see him there who made an end of all those sins. You see, if you're saved this morning, you are not saved because of anything that you've done, but because he made an end of those sins, that he gives you his righteousness, that you've been saved because you have been covered by the blood of the lamb, the one who takes away the sin of the, the world. Rejoice in that this morning. You are a great sinner, but you serve a great savior. You may be here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Christ. The call is always do so today. If you've never trusted in the gospel, the good news that Christ has taken on all your sins and now God offers grace if you only humble yourself before him. If that is you, cry out to him this morning. Admit that you are a sinner and you have nothing to offer. Tell him that it is in Christ and in his death alone that you look to for forgiveness of your sins. And the Bible declares in Romans 10, 9, it's one of our memory verses. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is what the Bible declares. I call you to do so today. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We are great sinners, but we serve a great Savior. Let's pray. Lord, there are times when we see a command like James has laid out for us this morning, and we shudder, we tremble, because we know deep down that that's us. We are slanderers of, our, of the brothers. We do speak evil against one another, and we do so so quickly, so often, without even realizing what we just did. But Lord, you are a great Savior. You sent your Son to die for us in our place, to redeem and make us new. Lord, that is an unimaginable truth that we so often take for granted. 
Lord, I pray for the people here this morning that this message wouldn't be just a crushing weight, knowing that, yes, I, I do those things, but that gospel message would pour into lives and understand more greatly that you have come to redeem and make new. That it was while we were slanders of the brothers that Christ came and died for our sins. I pray, Lord, that that would become a reality, something real to us, even in this moment as we now turn to take the Lord's Supper. I pray, Lord, that we would examine ourselves this morning, and even in that, that, yes, we are great sinners, but this body and blood, this grape juice and bread that we take declares to us and reminds us that we serve a great Savior who gave all to redeem us. Lord, I thank you for all that you do, and we praise you. Amen.